You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Arrowhead Pride podcast. Joel Thorman back on the podcast, but we have a new member, Sean Barber. Welcome as a full-time member to the show. Yeah, if everybody only knew the initiation process, man. <laughs> <laughs> See, we can't we can't reveal that. <laughs> yeah, we'll keep that. You're killing um, me. You're killing me. Okay, so big news out of Chiefs training camp preseason this week. Big trade for a linebacker, Reggie Ragland coming from the Buffalo Bills in exchange uh, for a future 2019 fourth-round draft pick. It is conditional. Uh, Sean, when you heard about this trade, what was your immediate reaction? Um, I just saw immediate impact as far as the depth at linebacker. I mean, that was one thing with DJ coming back off of an injury, um, his second Achilles. Um, a lot of guys don't even come back after the first one. So, yeah, you, you know he can come back, but now he's older, and he's coming back, and he's expected to be you know, a run-stopping middle linebacker. Um, after DJ, I mean, besides Ramik, um, we have some young guys. We have some guys that we're, you know, uh, uh, Lewis and uh, Lillard, both of those guys, we, we have great upside. We expect great things from them, but neither one of them is really proven. What Reggie does is he definitely um, brings that veteran leadership. Um, you know, second pick in 2016 from Alabama. Um, the Bama boys, they can bring the hat. They can stop the run. Yeah, and something you got to remember, too, is this guy's only 23 years old. Right. So you don't really know what you got here, I don't think. Second-round pick last year. Uh, you know, so so I, I think there's absolutely some potential there that's interesting. Um, and I just feel like they've been trying to address this position next to DJ for since they've been here, since Andy Reid's been here. It's been – it seems like it's since been a DJ different was a young pup himself. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. They, they've, they've been looking for this position. They, you know, brought in uh, Kevin Pierre-Lewis and, and now – Raglan. So yeah, I mean, I just think they needed more depth and they're hoping out of those, you know, three or four young guys they have behind DJ that one of those guys pops up and, uh, you know, turns into a regular starter. So I, I feel okay with where they're at right now with Ramik. Um, Were you surprised? So I was a little surprised that Malga got released because for me, just because he knows the system so well, he's been there before. I thought he was making the 53. I, I absolutely did too, especially you sign a veteran like that in July after he's, you know, been hurt. It seems like you're just waiting for him to get healthy and, you know, Sutton knew him so well. You know, I, I, I thought Mago was going to make it too. Not that I'm complaining. I think, I think Ragland is an upgrade in the next few years over Mago, what, what, the, what they'll provide, you know, over the next few years. Definitely if he's healthy. If he's healthy, he's definitely an upgrade from Mago. But like you say, Mago gives you that, it's almost a comfort level. He gave you a comfort right. feel. It's just a solid guy. can play a little phase of special teams, but he knows the defense. What Ragland does, I mean, if he's healthy, he gives you the uh, expectation of being, um, you know, you know, one maybe one of the top guys in the league at that position. I mean, he really was a outstanding player at Alabama when he uh, came on the draft. Yeah, you saw highlights from Alabama. He looks like a force there in the middle, and 
I've checked the social media pulse. I know the social media pulse of the Chiefs, and uh, he's pretty excited to be back. And I think he feels like he has a lot to prove just based upon the social media that Mm -hmm. I saw. So I don't know how much stock you put into that. But he is going to be coming in really with a vengeance. And it it provides now real competition because I don't think Rameek Wilson had any competition uh, before this as far as for like a starting role. I mean, if this guy's healthy, he could reasonably start, correct? Yeah, and that competition is something that it pushes the veteran guys. It pushes the starter to really play and excel each day to get better and better. And when you when you don't have anybody behind you, man, it's just human nature is you go into a lull. You go into that comfort, you you just start playing safe. You're not you're not you're not as aggressive on each play to make a play. And so um I'm really, really thinking that, you know, having three guys that are able to rotate, hey, whoever the hot two are gonna play, that really like that that spurs that deposition really um start taking off. Now moving on, other big news uh about the Chiefs this week. Spencer Ware done for the year. What was your knee-jerk reaction to Spencer Ware being done for the year? Sucks. <laughs> no other way to put it, especially, you know, two weeks before the season. I just think Spencer Ware is, uh, you know, what's what's that phrase? He's a, ma- he's a master of none, but... Jack of all trades. Yeah, you, you may have to edit this out. Yeah, jack of all trades. Master, <laughs> master of none. none. Yeah, that's exactly what he is. But that's what you needed right now, especially early in the season as Kareem Hunt kind of gets his feet wet and gets into the mix and Shark comes back healthy and C.J. Spiller learns the system. Like it was kind of comforting knowing that Spencer Ware was going to be there. You know, now they're going to be forced to go, you know, a bit of a different route. Not that, like, obviously I want Spencer Ware, but there was the the end result here is that you get to see a lot more of this rookie you're excited about. So, like, I'm happy about that too. So kind of, you know, two sides to it. Yeah, I saw it as like taking one step back, but two steps forward. Yeah, I I think it's interesting because I was making the point all training camp based upon what I was seeing that maybe Kareem Hunt would have been the starter anyway, you know, and Spencer Weir is a good dude and he provides value to this team. But as far as just the starting role goes, I think this is the direction they were headed in anyway. I don't think it's a in, in that regard. I don't think it's a monster loss. And now you get to see what uh, can happen behind Hunt. You know, C.J. Spiller and sure Kendrick West, we were talking about who's going to make the team. They're both on this team now. Exactly. For sure. And, you know, the depth does get hit a little bit with uh, Ware leaving. And now the Chiefs are now one injury away from Sharkandrick West on a starring role on a team that thinks it ha- it's going to go deep in the playoffs. So I'm kind of looking at these cuts next week, too, to see if anybody else, you know, comes up, somebody that can be your your, you know, fourth back. That's a veteran that that just can play. You know, um, so that's 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 kind of where I'm looking at over here over the next few days. And then you had someone in camp we haven't talked at all about, Divine Redding, who maybe makes the team, or at least you know I, I see him making at least the practice squad now for sure. Divine Redding. So yeah, interesting, interesting stuff at the running back position. Moving further, there's you know further remaining questions with this Chiefs team. Who's your third tight end? Is it Gavin Escobar or Ross Travis? I'd go with Escobar. I think Escobar. I mean, Escobar. Escobar. <laughs> the Escobar chant. Chiefs fans over here cheering, cheering the third tight end. That's how deep it goes. Escobar. I mean, I would, I would say Escobar, but if I'm being honest, it's you know based on like two catches I saw him make yeah. uh, versus Ross Travis. So I think when you're you know you're getting kind of that deep, you're doing you know you're you're guessing a little bit. But Escobar just to me feels like he has more of the ceiling. 
Ross Travis keeps doing this to me where he gets me excited at training camp. I like the athleticism. And then when it translates to the preseason games, all the other tight ends look a little bit better and look like they have a step on them. And it's just disappointing because you saw the basketball transition with Demetrius mm-hmm. Harris, and that was a success, my guy, Demetrius Harris. Yep. And just hasn't been able to happen quite yet for Ross Travis, and I don't think it's going to happen again. No, nah, if I had to bring a nickname for Ross Travis right now, it'd be Ghost. Like he, I mean, he's just like he's saying he's, he's like Casper the Ghost. He's yeah. there at one moment. You look around and it's like he's on the team, but you don't, you don't see him. He runs down on kickoffs. He runs. He plays special teams, but no, no stats, no tackles, no assists. Just, um, I mean, he was just out there. You know, eighty-eight was out. That's in the, and the, have Tony Gonzalez's number. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really big on this. Uh, as an ex-player, passing on a guy's number to somebody who I, you know, I was I was like, man, that's just that's such a such big shoes to fill. You're right about the number because. Um, it makes him a very visible ghost. Oh, yes. Yes. So do you see that 88 on the field and it starts bringing these warm feelings and he starts these, you know, uh, this touchdown spiking the ball of the goalpost. You can't wait for him to get on the field and be active and he gets no offensive reps. And you're like, what? where was Tony? Oh, I mean, Ross Travis, where is he at? So, yeah, he's my ghost. Okay. Well, obviously, uni- unanimous decision on Gavin Escobar potentially or probably being the third tight end. Moving on now to the wide receiver group. Uh, I've been saying in all training camp about this group in particular. When Macklin left, I thought it was cut and dry, but maybe not so cut and dry anymore. I think mm-hmm. Marcus Kemp, Shontavious Jones have a real chance at making the team. Uh, Joel, I'll, I'll go to you first. How do you feel this wide receiver group shakes out? Yeah, Marcus Kemp's contributions on special teams last week kind of caught my eye. I think that's significant when you're talking about the fifth or sixth receiver spot, but I don't know who he's going to knock out. You know, Pete, when we did this podcast at the start of camp, you know, we talked like Demarcus Robinson was a lock. I think he's he pretty close, but after, you know, after preseason. I don't feel as strongly anymore. Yeah, I don't feel Robinson. nearly as strongly as, about that anymore. So maybe he's the guy who possibly goes, or maybe it's Albert Wilson. Like, that's kind of more interesting almost to me is like which one of those quote unquote established guys or guys who have been here for longer than a year are, are, are going to go, you know, the, at, at the, the final receiver spot. So, but yeah, Kemp or Shontavious Jones would be the two that, you know, the, the two that I think have an actual shot to, to make the team. Sean, how are you feeling about it? Yeah, you know, I think so with Kemp's situation, I think Coach Tobe is going to play part of his make or break. If, if Coach, yep. if, if Tobe steps on the table. He said the other day up, how great of a game he had as he, well. Man, every time I see a kickoff, I see that big number seven, bam. <laughs> I see him, um, I mean, he's breaking through things, making tackles, making impact plays as a gunner. I mean, it's all over the field. So if Tobe says that, you know, that's his guy and that's somebody he really sees as being a, you know, uh, integral part of his special teams, and I think that, you know, Kemp gets the nod over Jones. But either one of those guys, like you said, obviously have a chance to make it back on the practice squad as a receiver group. I think Kemp has probably opened enough eyes around the league where if he's not on our 53, that possibly he'll get brought up by some other team to be a special teams guy. Yeah, and um, that, Kemp's, Kemp's the type of guy where you, you almost get a little scared to see him on another team because it you know you watch him and you're like, oh, man, the ceiling's maybe pretty high with this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, David Irving is one guy that always comes to mind where he's making a big difference on the team. I know there's been the PED stuff, but still, it's you know you almost don't want to see Kemp on another team. Yeah. And another interesting guy I want to just bring up before we move on is J.U. Chesson. How does he shape in all this? I mean, this is your draft pick. Yeah, I think, I mean, as a draft pick, I think you just have a, such a, you have, you have a bigger window to kind of fit your fit, fit into your mold. 
Um, so I think he's going to definitely be on the 53 and they're going to kind of watch him kind of figure out, is he going to be an X or a Z or what position he really is going to become. But what I thought to happen is kind of a domino effect is I think by Spencer Ware being injured, it definitely puts DeAnthony Thomas because if he has running back ability, his running back skills, kind of like what Green Bay is doing with uh, Montgomery. Right. Um, you can take that wide receiver and always just in a, in a crisis, put him back in the backfield and he at least will get to the right holes. He'll hit the, and handoffs and I all that ne- kind of stuff. At this stage of the game, you talked to me a year or two ago, I never in a million years would have told you DeAnthony Thomas would be such an important part of this Chiefs team. But if you listen to the coaching staff and you watch the games, mm-hmm. he really is. Yeah. You know? He he, he he made, what, three catches last week, you know, which was, which was pretty solid. Man, I just feel like his ceiling outside of special teams is so low that it's kind of like, eh, you know, he'll he'll make a few catches here and there. You know, I I, I think it's all about special teams with me and, uh, you know, for uh, D'Anthony Thomas. That's what 90% of my analysis is, like, can you be elite on special teams? The offensive stuff, like, you know, I just – I'll go back and look at what the fourth or fifth wide receiver did last year and it was a couple hundred yards, and I couldn't even tell you who it was. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so it's all about special teams with me and him. And with the Chiefs saying that they're going to definitely, like, downgrade the amount of Tyreek Hill's um, emphasis on returns – I think that just um, directly is re- kind of a direct correlation with the impact that the uptick of DeAnthony Thomas because him returning that touchdown last week kind of let you know he's still a threat. And I think that was something in his game that people kind of started to doubt a little bit, you know, as he is as he is threatening as Tyreek Hill is. And I think last week he put it like that stamp on it. Yeah, you got to worry about me. So now it's time he does it in the regular season. I think he just has two kick like a punt and a kick return in preseason for scores mm-hmm. maybe. I don't think he's got a regular season. No, he's, he's scored, I believe, in the regular season, but I think it was two years ago. Yeah, maybe uh, it was. Against the Raiders, I'm remembering. Before I be so a fact check. Before Hill. Fact check us in the comments here before we're done. <laughs> don't, <laughs> so don't worry. But the one thing about special teams in the preseason, those are the same guys. Right. You know, first team offense, first team defense, you know, you, you get less of those guys. But when it comes to special teams coverage, those are the same guys in the right. regular season. Right. Putting a bow on this, I think, Going into the 53-man roster cut, almost religiously, the Chiefs keep six wide receivers. So if you think that, you got Hill, Conley, Wilson, DeAnthony Thomas, Demarcus Robinson, and J.U. Chesson, probably your safe six. But making that group a little sexier, you got Shontavious Jones, Marcus Kemp, and a huge reach would be Garrett Dieter. I uh, really don't see Dieter making it, but uh, those are that, that's a good talent pool in, mm-hmm. in a position we really didn't think was going to be that strong after Macklin was cut. Fifth thing I want to talk about in this first segment, Patrick Mahomes getting the start on Thursday night. I know it's a preseason game. Is this a big deal or a small deal for you, Sean? I'll start with you. Uh, Not a big deal for me at all. I think everybody knows that come the beginning of 2018, Mahomes will be under quarterback taking – I mean, not under the quarterback. Obviously, he's an all-shotgun guy, but (laughs) he will be the guy receiving the snaps. Um, It's his his team moving forward, but this is is just another game for him to get through. Hopefully, he gets through – healthy as possible. He's our number two guy. If something happens with Alex Smith during the season, he can get in there for a quarter, a game, two games, get us through it. But this is Alex Smith's kind of his swan song. It's, it's his last year to kind of take the team as far as it's going to go and bar a, a Super Bowl run. Um, I think this is the last year we'll see Alex Smith here. Maybe in the post-edit, I'll, I'll run a little bye-bye Miss American Pie. That, that <laughs> swan song. Uh, swan song. Joel, how do you feel about Mahomes? I know you're a Mahomes guy. Yeah, it hasn't gotten old watching your, your young rookie quarterback uh, out there throwing it around, so I'm super excited just to watch him play, but also knowing that the starters for both teams are basically all sitting. So in terms of real analysis, like I don't know what to take out of this. 
but it will be fun to look at them, you know, hopefully just one last time before Alex leads the Chiefs to the Super Bowl and yes, uh, gives them that, that hard decision next year. All right. Optimism. I'm excited for Mahomes on Thursday. I, I think it's – I'm eager to see what he can do when he knows he's getting the first drive out of the gate. Right. I, I think that's one thing you'll learn. And as you say, it's a nice coming attraction uh, for, he's got, for he's 2018. Got, yeah, I think he's got uh, 10 possessions, and he scored on five of them so far this preseason. There you go. If so, the Chiefs are trying to sell season tickets for 2018, this is a great tease. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big Red better dial up the deep ball. <laughs> Get one play for Tyreek and just give it to the fans. Yes, you know. So now next week we'll be talking about the big game. It's going to be Thursday night, the New England Patriots. But before we do, let's make a few predictions going now into this season. For you guys, who are your offensive breakout star candidates? You can name one or two, just a little bit of reason why. I mean, for obvious reasons, Kareem Hunt, because mm-hmm. um, he's going to get the bulk of the carries. And then after that, I mean, it's it's kind of an easy one, but Tyreek, you know, he's obviously going to see a lot more opportunities, so I think you'll see a bigger year from him. No one else in the receiver group or even the running backs totally jump out at me. I feel like it's a risk to say, you know, C.J. Spiller or any of those young tight ends are going to make significant differences because I think something would have to happen for you know for, for, for them to play that well. So, yeah, I'll go with uh, Tyreek and Kareem Hunt as, as, my, as my breakout candidates this year. Sean? Yeah, I'm going to go with Demetrius Harris. Uh, the tight end position, I think um, he kind of becomes that touchdown vulture. Uh, he's going to break the hearts of a lot of Travis uh, Kelsey fantasy owners. Yes, <laughs> they guy. actually have a red zone guy now. Oh, my goodness. They're, they're going to hate him. They're gonna, they're gonna, Chiefs fans going to love him right. because we get a score, but this fantasy league over, overall is going to uh, really all, – the, All Demetrius does is score. That's all he just, does. Just give the guy the ball in the red zone and he'll score touchdowns. I mean, and, and, I, and I'm excited for Demetrius. That was actually one of mine. And, uh, of course, for me, Kareem Hunt, I, mm-hmm. I think this is a guy who not only could be – good here in Kansas City, but league-wide, he seems to have the tools to maybe make a difference. I think the biggest point about Kareem Hunt is something you mentioned last week and you sort of brought to my attention is, can he last the 16 games? Yeah, just the the difference between college and pros, and that's why people asked me uh, earlier on about Hunt versus um, where, what, you know, what is the difference? I'm saying, well, where are we? It's is proven. He's a proven commodity. He knows what it takes to be hit for 17 weeks and two weeks of the preseason and postseason. He knows what it's a marathon. Coming from Toledo and coming from college, sometimes you, you enter the league and it's kind of like everything needs to be fast forward. You, 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 you try your best and you go hard every play. And when you get hit, it hurts. And so you want to take a couple snaps off to kind of get yourself back together. And um, you just got to learn. And I heard about this in basketball, some point guards, right? When they enter the league, everything's going so fast. They want to play their hardest defense. They want to press the ball up every time. And then you, you they get talked to a, a, a Chris Paul type Uh, CB3 lets them know, hey, man, the league, the season is a marathon. You can't go 100% every snap. And I think that's one thing he might need to learn in the first few games is we need him to be 85 to 90% for 16 games. We don't need 100% for four games or 100% for five games. We need him to be our starting running back for all 16 for us to have playoff hopes. All right. Well, some interesting things to look at on the offensive side of the ball headed into Thursday's night's fourth preseason game, 730 p.m. It's the Chiefs and the Titans. We talked about the offensive side of the football. When we come back, we'll talk about the defensive side of the football. Stay with us. And we're back with the Arrowhead Pride podcast talking the Chiefs 
Titans fourth preseason game this Thursday night and answering some bigger questions about this season. We talked a little bit about the offense. Now we're going to get into the defensive side of the football. What are some position groups that are still worrying us? For me, I think the obvious one is the right cornerback position. Yeah, uh, unless they sign Joe Hayden like right now. Right, um, it, <laughs> as we're on Facebook. Yeah, it probably should be a concern. I mean, that's another position that I think they, they have to be looking at for, for depth uh, when cuts come in next week just to get like another veteran guy back there because Terrence Mitchell still isn't healthy. And I just, you know, I just can't rely on Philip Gaines or DJ Wyatt or Devontae Bosby. Like I think for various reasons, those are all worth you know, keeping and developing. But as a starter in 2017, I'd be a little, you know, I'd just be worried if, you know, a team who thinks they're going to like the AFC title game has that at right corner. So I'm interested in adding more depth there for sure. I mean, I I definitely agree. Like I said, I think that what you get with Gaines and Nelson, if you combine them together and combine their strengths, you might get a starting corner, but either one of them can be manipulated by offense coordinator. If you know, basically you always know that, Peters is on the left side, so you just design offensive plays to hit that right corner to make him make decisions. One guy's a little bit better in the press. Philip Gaines is more of a downfield guy. He can make plays on the ball downfield. Like I said, Nelson's more of a kind of reroute type guy. He has really good mirror, but down the field, he kind of struggles to stay with guys beyond the third step. So you kind of got to, you know, we're going to be playing like a little chess game um, between our defensive coordinator deciding on who he's going to put out there and then hoping uh, maybe the offense is maybe a step behind as far as trying to react to that next offensive play, depending on who lines up where. But aren't aren't the Chiefs in a situation now, at least to me, where if you're an offensive coordinator, opposing offensive coordinator, aren't you looking at the rest of the 10 guys in the field and saying, okay, where's that 11th man? Go after him, like you know, especially with some of these talented quarterbacks you have in this league. Yeah, I think I think every coordinator does that now, but I think other teams, if you can, and I think I think that's why it's so important to have that immediate pressure on a quarterback. Um, whether you bring blitz, bring pressure, or if you have guys like Von Miller or Mac that can create their own pressure without having to bring pressure, it, it makes the quarterback make a decision before he's ready. If you're able to scan the defense and know from the safety depth what coverage it is and then realize where Peters is and, like, now we can just kind of uh, cut the field in half and know we're going to attack these three zones on the right side of the field, it makes the progression in his in his past progressions so much easier. So I see a young quarterback being almost as effective as a veteran quarterback against our defense if it's something where we keep the same guy out there every time. And, you know, Bob Sutton and the Chiefs' defense, you know, they know – their own players too. They know that the right corner isn't as strong as 22 on the other side. And they knew that last year Mm -hmm. uh, and they were terrific at turnovers, you know, really strong on defense overall. So, you know, I do think it's a new uh, need that needs to be addressed, but I don't want to like, I don't think we should think that like the success of the defense depends on like this one cornerback position. You know what I mean? It's, it's almost like they're so strong everywhere else that we're just like, we're trying to find that one spot. It's highlighted. Right, right, right. (laughs) So, I mean, I can't help it, though. I still look at it. I'm like, they need somebody there. You know, Phil Gaines cannot be playing significant snaps for a playoff contending team. And then I step back and I'm like, well, they picked up a guy off the practice squad in November last year, and we're all like clamoring over him, Terrence Mitchell now. You know what I mean? So things can change in a hurry. Yeah, and I just think that is true. But what it almost accentuates to me is – just how important Marcus Peters is on this team. Because so important. I don't know if there is a more important player. I mean, we, we, we're happy about the offense, but you have Tyreek Hill and you have Travis Kelsey. If one goes down for a game, uh, you might be okay. 
Andy, with, Andy Reid on offense. Right, <laughs> right, of course. The, one of the best play callers there, there is. Mm-hmm. On defense, if you lose Marcus Peters, I mean, aren't you probably losing that football game? Exactly, because he locks down half the, half the field as far as coverage-wise. So when we talk about Nelson and Gaines, how do you defend when you know they're – not that they're weak, but that's one of your weaknesses – is you acknowledge it. And you have the safety lean that way. You have the the linebacker leaning towards that way, knowing that that's where we're going to roll him up. We're going to play to their strengths. If you got Nelson out there, we're going to reroute routes. So you can't make an immediate pass with Barry or Parker over the top. So now as an offense, it makes you like hold the ball, hold the ball, and now let's D4 get there. Let's Tom Bailey get there. So you're acknowledging it's a weakness, but we're going to cover it. We're not going to let you expose it. We're going to cover it and then make you try to beat us someplace else. And if you go to the other side of the field, it can be a pick six all day. I like, I like you're almost describing Marcus Peters like the meditation of the Chiefs. <laughs> when Marcus Peters is on the field, everyone relaxes yeah. a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it's true. He's, he's a, you know, Andy Reid has used this word before, an energy giver. Mm-hmm. You know, just, just like oh, the, he gives him energy. Like the other players on the field, I feel like it just, it seems like they feed off of him. Like you go in the locker room after the game, and it just feels like he's got this like buzz. You know what I mean? You know how some guys are just like, you just, you can spot him right away. That's going to be an NFL star. Like, for Peters, you know, th- that was just so obvious to me. One thing I do want to note at the cornerback position before we move on is the Chiefs actually announced as well Ashton Lampkin is done with an ACL tear uh, for the year. He had a really good training camp, and he was good. And I, in a way, and I know the players are not going to look at it this way because he's dealing with, what, six to eight months of rehab, mm-hmm. but it's almost a blessing for the Chiefs because he's a talented young kid. I don't know if he was making the 53, and he might have ended up somewhere else and not on the Chiefs roster if he wasn't placed upon IR. So I like that we get to see him again next camp, and maybe he can make this team. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I think that's a smart observation. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I, I think hopefully next year, yeah, it comes back to benefit them. But I just don't, I haven't seen enough of him to, to really know. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, I want to just move on to another point about the defense. And this is something I've been wondering for a long time. When I was younger, uh, there used to be a TV show, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego? For the Chiefs, it's Where in the World is Tom Bahali? We have not seen this guy. I mean, he was at the kickoff luncheon. I know he did a Facebook Live there. But you've seen these social media posts that he'd be back on the field soon. We haven't seen him. Didn't he dress for one game but never played? Or am I making that up? Or there was talk that he there was talk there was he was going to play and then didn't didn't wind up playing and and we just haven't seen him and this was the loudest guy before training camp begins <laughs> and then it's just been the disappearing act. Sean, what do you think? I don't know. You know, uh, you, you hear he has some uh, off the field um, focus on recording studios and and, and doing some things beyond football. Once it's over, uh, we saw him on on social media before the season started kind of complaining about last year during the playoffs, not getting enough snaps and uh, being that guy who wants to be out there all the time. And um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's something where the organization say, Hey, we're going to give you as much rest as possible so that you can give us your best during the year. Um, Give him a couple of plays, you know, practices off and stuff. Just kind of acknowledging that he's a, um, I mean, he's an aging vet. He's a guy who he, he only has so many snaps left in him. He can't, he can't give you any more than he don't have. Um, So if he only has, um, you know, 100 snaps in him, then that breaks down to about, you know, eight to nine really good snaps each game. So correct me if I'm wrong, though. And I know there are different positions and, and it's different wear and tear. But isn't Tom a year younger than DJ? And DJ is like this huge <laughs> fountain of youth. <laughs> DJ, DJ is a freak. <laughs> That's the only way to put it. But yeah, Tomba, I'm pretty curious, too. I kind of thought it was, you know, like half 
like he doesn't need preseason. They're going to rest him anyway. They were managing his snaps during practice last year, so he wasn't going to play. But it also felt like kind of just with all that stuff right before training camp that you kind of put him on a shelf for a month, let that other side, let let that other stuff kind of get swept away, and then you know focus back on on uh, football. I mean, that's kind of the way I looked at it. I mean, I I 100% think he'll be suiting up in New England, Mm -hmm. and that's what's weird about it. Even though we haven't seen him at all. I'd be shocked if he wasn't on the field in New England. I, I think if there's anybody on that defense where you know what you're going to get game in, game out, snap by snap, it's Tom Bailey. He, he's a he's a uh, constant professional of, of his of his craft. He knows how to play the run, the pass. He's going to give it you know, his all. He's going to be an emotional leader on the sideline for the team, whether he's out there on the field or just on the sideline. He's going to be giving his all to that defense to um, on every series to make a stop. So um, I'm not worried about Tom Bailey. I mean, but you you mentioned like eight, nine, ten snaps. Do you think that's like a realistic, uh, you know, look at like, you know, how much he could contribute this year? I don't, I don't think he's going to be happy with it, but right. I think, I mean, just realistically, if you want him there for the entire season, anything more than that, you're going to be kind of salvaging the future for just that one game. Sure. Right. So I think we need him. I mean, he's a the three of the monster at end is Ford, Houston, and Holly, and them two, two of them got to be ready to go at all times of the game. Welcome to Sac City, the word. <laughs> Sac uh, City. I want to just keep this open now for any defensive questions that maybe we haven't looked at. I mean, I, I think the entire training camp, it's been the right cornerback. We already addressed that. Is there anything else you're wondering headed into this fourth preseason game and beyond? Oh, can they stop the run? <laughs> um, I feel like that's important. Uh, and they've, you know, they've made some personnel moves to address that, so I do think they're going to be better there. Uh, still, the most important thing to me remains whether or not Justin Houston is going to be a star this year. And I think that makes the difference between being a very good defense and an elite-level defense that can help carry you to wins in the playoffs. So that's that's huge. I haven't seen it yet. There used to be games where Justin Houston would win the game yeah. for you. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and they're, you know, if he gives you a couple more of those this year, then, you know, it's all going to be good. But I still really haven't seen enough out of Houston to be confident that, you know, he's he's like the same guy he was before some of these injuries. So maybe week one on, you know, he's all jacked up for the Patriots. Like, you know, he he, he could bring it yeah. uh, in, in New England for sure. But I just haven't seen it yet. So that's still like a something I'm, I'm wondering about. And that's something, too, that you should remember going into this fourth preseason game is you're not going to see a lot of these starters. So right. the starters, they're, they're on film. You're not going to see Houston on Thursday night, I presume. So we we'll just have to wait and see next week when it counts. Uh, any defensive questions you're wondering? Um, I, as, I mean, as excited as I was to see that those goal line stops in the red zone, I know, I know the red zone defense is still going to be solid. I'm still more concerned about our run defense through the middle of the field. I mean, I just thought that uh, Seattle kind of um, kind of put me back on my heels. It, it right. made me nervous again because I saw this running back after running back breaking through holes. I heard, I saw missed gaps. I saw missed tackles. I saw things that just wasn't well. It wasn't comforting as a former defensive player to see those things happening because um, it makes me think that maybe the culture isn't corrected. Yeah, it seems like the, the mo of this Chiefs defense is like let's allow an, a first down or two, let the other team get into field goal range. Okay, all right now, now let's play, let's yeah. play, let's play, and it seems to be happen every game. Yeah. And, and it reflects in the stats, too, just how many they give up so many yards. And yet, you know, they're always so strong, you know, inside the, or outside the 20s uh, in, in the red zone. So, yeah, I mean, that's just you've heard of Ben, but don't break. And this reflects it perfectly in the stats. Bob, you know what I mean? Bob Sutton has said it plenty of times, too. It's it, their whole motto is they're not in until they're in. Maybe the motto this year should be, hey, three and out. 
because yeah. wouldn't you feel a little bit more comfortable, you know, if, if you weren't allowing these teams? We, and last year, hate to bring up the worst possible thing, but you lost because of field goals. Yeah. You know, it's, it's more of, you know, stop the points from being scored the entire game. And if Alex and the offense is only able to muster up 14, 17 points, maybe you win the game. Right, right. With so many playmakers on defense, I think that motto about making them just con- making them continue to snap the ball. You give up first downs, not touchdowns. Make them snap the ball, snap the ball. And defensively, we have playmakers that will get a big sack. We have Marcus Peters going to go for pick six. We got guys in the secondary. Uh, Dan's, you know, I love Source. You know, I, that's my guy. Dirty Dan. <laughs> Dirty Dan is my guy for uh, making big plays. So we got we got a we got a number of guys on defense can really make big plays, game changing plays. We just don't want to give teams these big over the top plays by trying to take away that first down, making. Um, overreacting, being too aggressive to try to give up uh, or not allow, you know, four or five yards and give up a 40-yard strike. Um, but then when we get into the red zone, that field shortens, those windows shorten, and our defense really becomes one of the best in the league. You know, we call him Dirty Dan Sorensen on the field. Maybe we'll call you Dirty Sean on the podcast. <laughs> uh, I love that guy. We've gone over the defense. We've gone over the offense. When we come back, we'll read some of your tweets. We'll give out some awards. Again, Chiefs playing this Thursday night, 7.30, wrapping up the preseason. This is the Arrowhead Pride Podcast. Stay with us. Hello and welcome back to the Arrowhead Pride Podcast. We have been talking about the Chiefs, where they're headed. Last podcast of the preseason. One thing we didn't touch upon in the last segment, I just want to hit very quickly. Who's your defensive breakout star candidate, Joel? Can I use Dirty Dan? Yeah, you can use it. I mean, was last year his breakout this, year? This, that's a classic Dirty Sean move right there. <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, no, I will. Um, I, I actually do like Dirty Dan as a breakout star, but uh, I think Nacho is the pick here. Um, gotten bigger uh, and, and was noticeable uh, during the during the start of the preseason. Nacho, average defensive player. Sean, okay. Nacho Set him up, you knock him down. Nacho cheese, nacho cheese. <laughs> Uh, Dirty Dan is the guy. I mean, Dirty Dan is my guy. I think that he's going to actually um, overcome Parker at some point and, is, and become one of our starting safeties. Uh, I would love to see that happen. Um, but you know my, my my heart is still with old Benny Logan. Benny's going to be the man inside that in, interior pressure, uh, not letting quarterbacks step up. is going to be something that's going to be so crucial to us playing against the pass on third and longs. I mean, any type of pass situation, when I see Benny Loken um, break through those double teams and stuff, I'm going I'm to feel all warm and fuzzy inside. So you guys are right there. You're right in, right in the right range for who's going to be the defensive MVP. But you're missing the obvious. Chris who? Chris uh, Jones. Chris last Jones. Year, Jones. Last year, his rookie year, he became one of the best defensive linemen in the league. Yeah, and he yeah, had yeah. half a year. He did. This is now a full off season. I know we had the knee scope, but this is a full off season where he's with the scheme. He's been able to watch tape with Bob Sutton. I think this guy is primed not only to be potentially the best defensive player on the Chiefs, but he could be the best defensive lineman or one of the best defensive linemen among that elite group in the league. Yeah, I, I am. I am certainly hopeful. I think he's going to be very good. You know, the only thing that gives me pause is that offseason knee surgery. How long is it going to take him to to get back into it? And then also that every other team now has a plan when they go in to face the Chiefs. They need to stop Chris Jones. But that's the, that's the great thing about this Chiefs line is you also have Logan. Alan Bailey, Bailey, who's underrated, underrated comeback just because there's been so much happening around him. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, Nacho. So if you're rotating these guys in and in and out, it's gonna, they're going to be fresh. And if Nacho can can reach that level of these other guys, man, that's a good defensive line. Very good, very good. Yeah, no, I I, I think they have a lot going for them. I can't remember the last time the Chiefs had a defensive line 
this good. I mean, back in your day, I don't even think they were. I don't. I don't. I don't think across the board they were this. They were this strong. I kind of remember a few high defensive linemen picks back in the day, but. All right. Well, those are your defensive breakout stars. I do want to hit something very quickly, which is another underrated storyline in this preseason is the health of Cairo Santos. He's had this groin issue the entire time. We did find out the other day that he should be fine headed into the regular season, but Sam Ficken has been the replacement since. Uh, they said that Cairo may be doing some field goals on Thursday night where Ficken would take the kickoffs. A little alarming that they don't want your starting kicker taking kickoffs the last preseason game, is it not? Yeah, it's a little worrisome for me. You know, I guess they have Colquitt can also do kickoffs, I'm guessing. I would be more concerned about them this first week having to waste a roster spot on a kicker. An extra kicker. On, on, on an extra kicker, which I know they don't want to do. This is a team that, like, you know, we know exactly how many receivers are going to take because they only keep six every year. Like, they are they know, you know, how many they want to keep at each, each position. So I think that would screw some things up. But, I mean, until Santos gives me a bigger reason to worry, I guess I'm not going to be too concerned about it, especially if it's just uh, just just kickoffs right now, you know? Yeah. All right. And as far as my worry stars, I'm a, it's a three out of five for me. Um, I give them three stars on my worry sheet. Um, you're, yeah, I, I, you're I, offering stars up for yeah, yeah, worrisome yeah. topics. Yeah, three out of five. <laughs> three out of five. <laughs> what a backwards. What a backwards if I get to five, it's, it's stars like, are positivity. Yeah, no, go no, ahead. Three, no, out of, three of five. Yeah, no panic. I, I, I'm just a little bit more than average worried, just because, like you said, I think that if it was just nursing a little bit of a, of a little bit of discomfort then for this fourth preseason game, he could at least go out there and do some kickoff. I mean, something that's not really, you know, you're not not trying to get a 50-yard field goal out of him or something beyond his limit, but you, you know, some chip shots and stuff, kind of just going through the motion, you'll be comfortable with that. Um, Since he's not out there doing that, I am a little bit more than average worried. But the reason it's not a four or five is because we have Lawrence Tynes right around the corner. We can always go down the street to Overland Park and get Lawrence Tynes. He's uh, doing wheels up and stuff right now. So you're talking, nice. you're talking <laughs> about Lawrence Steins like he's a staple. So yeah, we'll head down Overland Park, hit, hit up the staples, get what we need. We'll come back. Yeah, but no, it's true. That's a, that's a good point. You can always sign him after week one and go week by week with LT. He can still make a 40 yarder. <laughs> trying to get that 3% agent fee here. Yes, I sir. See. Yes, sir. All right, let's move on now. We're going to read some fan tweets, kind of discuss what the fans uh, are saying on Twitter. Uh, here's an interesting one there from, were some good ones yesterday. from Mike Trent. Crazy hypothetical question. Would you trade the Chiefs 53 for the Raiders 53? Sean, I'll start with you. No, 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 no. The Raiders are still out. They still, it's still, it's still a, uh, what am I, what am I saying? It's still a sense of coming of age is going on with Jack Del Rio. He's, he's changed the mentality. He's changed the, the aura and everything, but there's still a bunch of Raiders some carryover guys. They're still getting rid of some of that old, we hang into we hang into it, but we still we they're not really ready to get over the hump, and they got a lot of really good young stars there. They got some young players there, but they need to. No, I, I like the fifty three we got here, man. Oh man, Joe, I probably wouldn't. I admit it's hard to separate your you know Raider hater attitude uh, uh, in in this question, but I don't think I would. I probably would last year if Mahomes wasn't here, but I think that kind of tips the scales for me. I think the Chiefs are just a more balanced team. Yeah. The Raiders are a better offense for sure right now. Their quarterback is better. Um, I think uh, you know to be determined down the road, but um, I'd, I'd I'd stick with the Chiefs. I think. I think the biggest thing for me when tackling this question is two words franchise quarterback because at the end of the day you can have whatever 53 you want you see it in jacksonville they were pretty happy with their team but what don't they have they don't have a quarterback right Mm -hmm. now 
you made the best point. I think before last year, before you have Mahomes, maybe you go and say, okay, I don't care what's on this team. We want Derek Carr on the Chiefs for the future, right? right? Because Alex Smith only lasts so long. But now that you have Patrick Mahomes, the Chiefs are a complete team. And people forget this because of the national dialogue and the national narrative. The Chiefs have owned the Raiders. You know, these past, <laughs> you know what I mean? These past few years. So why in a million years would you trade for the Raiders 53? Because Jack Del Rio is a little bit sassy one day? No. For me, I'd keep the Chiefs 53. Uh, here's one from Michael Estill. How significant is the Andy Reid versus Bill Belichick rivalry, and will Big Red ever be able to outprepare and outperform him? Sean, I'll start with you again. Um, I think if you go long term, if you give him a week to prepare, or a week longer, or coming off a of bye week, um, I think this is Andy's probably best chance against uh, Belichick having the whole offseason to kind of prepare against some of the things that Belichick does. Um, Belichick does a great job in short stints about taking away your best option. And I think that's the one thing that he does better than anybody is that um, offensively, if you're a one-trick pony, if you can only run the ball or only pass the ball, if you got um, a Julio Jones-type receiver or you just have this one big threat, he takes him away like no other. But when you, like we say, the one thing that the Chiefs do that um, that is, makes us very special is that we're so balanced. We have great runners. We have right. great tight end. We have some really, you know, uh, receivers ready to break out. You can't really just take away Hill and think that you're going to stop the Chiefs. You can't take away um, Travis Kelsey and think that we have nobody else to hit you with. So um, I'm always going to tilt that scale um, pretty much depending on what kind of time period you're talking about. So in the long term, Andy's the guy, but in the short term, it's going to be Belichick. Belichick's the greatest coach in NFL history, so I, I'll, I'll defer to him on all that. That said, week one, I cannot wait for the chess match that's going to come down. And when people like Sean or after the game are breaking down some of the like the X's and O's and stuff that you saw, like this, these are two like these are two elite level coaches when it comes to game planning and doing new things. We're going to see some wrinkles from the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is. The Patriots don't know either, but there's good, they're going to do some different things. You know that I, I just think it's going to be really interesting. I know I'm being like vague, but you know these are just uh, you know like you saw the old uh, the old classic tight end shovel pass go behind <laughs> lateral. I mean, it was like it was out like, route last quarter. year late in the season. Tyreek had hardly taken any carries, and they gave him a few in the Denver game and the Titans game. I'm talking about little wrinkles like that. You know what I mean? And, and he he killed him with those. Uh, so it was significant. Um, I'm, I'm looking for stuff like that. Like I want to see, and, and it may be really subtle that you don't notice on your, your, your first watch of the game live. Uh, but when you go back in and you find someone, you know, who knows football to kind of, uh, highlight a few of these things that, that they do, I'm, I'm super excited for it. Should be fun. Uh, I really think too, you have to caution yourself with what you saw from the chiefs in the preseason and even in the Seahawks game, because even in that game, I feel like I have a good feel for Andy Reid working there for three years and things like that. He's not going to be the type of guy that wants to show Bill Belichick anything on tape. Right, right. So did you really see the true Chiefs in the Seahawks game? I think that's a fair question. I don't know. I don't know if you saw the true offense in that game. So I'm excited for next Thursday night. I'm excited for that first drive when Andy shifts like nine times on one play (laughs) and he's got like the right guard lined up like in the slot. You know what I mean? Because like – do you, do you remember the it was the Raiders game last year I think where you put Jack Del Rio on a, uh, Jack Del Rio in a clown suit um, and they just did all those shifts and the Raiders had no idea what they were doing and he called it gimmicky and all that I want to see more gimmicky stuff Jack Del Rio if you remember and that's that's a, a closet reason to be excited for when the Chiefs and Raiders play for the first time he didn't even shake Andy Reid's hand I believe after the last game between these two teams and and Andy Reid just gave him a little pat on the shoulder and said it's okay little buddy yeah so yeah there's a little bit of a thing there I, I'm excited to see what happens this year. Moving on to JT712, 
If the Chiefs go six receivers, as they have since 2013, who is most likely to be number seven come Saturday? So who would be the last man out? Mm. I'll say Marcus Kemp, special teams. And he, you know, he, he could be there. Yeah, we say, I mean, like we said, um, this game's going to really be very important for Kemp and Jones. Those two guys going to be hopefully on a lot of special teams and um, out there even in normal snaps. But if I was one of those guys and I'm preparing for this game, I would be in Coach Tobe's office more so than worrying about, you know, um, right. my offensive snaps because you're not Pull, really – Pulling a George Cassandra, <laughs> sleeping under the desk. I mean, you, you got to realize who's going to butter your bread, you know. You're going you're gonna to make this team basically on special teams. And so if you got to almost ignore the offense at this point and just totally commit yourself to being a dominant special teams player, you have, a, I think, a much better um, path to the 53 going through Coach Tobe right now. And I get, and to your point, Jay, thank you for writing in, but I have a sneaky suspicion that we may see seven receivers on the Chiefs for the first time just because I think you don't cut talent. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, like, if you know, if, are you going to keep Divine Redding over one of these really talented receivers that can get plucked by somebody else? I mean, we saw how much the Chiefs uh, were active in 2013 on the waiver wire and how many good players they were able to get. I mean, I just don't know if you – cut that seventh receiver if you truly believe in him and Tobo will fight for guys. We yeah. know that. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. So yeah, Marcus Kemp, I think would be my seventh receiver as well. And mm-hmm. you, you, you can find a spot for those guys. You keep three backs instead of four or three tight ends instead of four, like they have been in the past couple of years. I mean, you, there's a roster spot to be had. Mm-hmm. The wild card in this whole thing is the, what the NFL has done this year is when they kept all the rosters at 90 and, and there's only one cut down day. Right. So now we're, we're talking about Kemp and Jones not even realizing there's going to be another 50 wideouts getting cut from other teams that might be more dominant special teams players. So right. it might become a non-factor. And you have a lot of surprise cuts sometimes where mm-hmm. veterans who you didn't expect to get cut at the 53 will get cut, and then you bring them in, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, that, they're a chief now? You yeah. know, So it's, it, it should be interesting to see. Saturday is one of the, usually the most exciting days this weekend, Saturday Sunday, because there's a lot of shift. Yeah. in the NFL based upon who goes where. And uh, even g- going back to that right cornerback position, I know people are excited about Joe Hayden, but you don't really know who will be a chief mm-hmm. come this weekend. Uh, here's an over-under question from Jordan Tribe. Alex Smith passing touchdowns, 21 and a half. Oh, Lord. Mahomes' <laughs> starts, 0. 0.5. I'll take the uh, over on Alex touchdowns. Okay. Uh, I, I just think he's going to have one of his – probably his best year. Um, with the young guy behind him. Yeah. Mahomes starts. I'll go with over. I'm going to go with the over and the under. I'm going to say that Smith finds a way to start every game. He's, I mean, this is basically him playing for his next contract. And so for that reason, I'm going to go with the over for the touchdowns. I mean, I think he adds about five rushing touchdowns into that this year also. So he's going to be, to me, a fantasy breakout as far as quarterback. Guy you can get after the draft's over because nobody's going to want him, but he's going to put up the same numbers as somebody else who you drafted in the sixth or seventh round. But then when it comes to those starts, I think he's going to find every way possible to stay healthy, every way. Such, such a good point by you on the fact that you're calling this a contract year because, yes, the Chiefs could keep him for next year, but it would cost him $17 million. So odds are they do cut him, mm-hmm. making this his contract year, which, I mean, if you know Alex Smith, he'll probably ball out. I'm going to yeah. go over on the touchdowns. Uh, I'll also go over on Mahomes just because in the past few years we've seen Alex miss one game and – Given the new NFL and the rules, sometimes it's not up to them anymore. Yeah, you know, which which is a good thing. I, I, I think we have to get away <laughs> from the fact that, like, hey, you're not tough, you're not playing. If you're concussed, don't play the game. We've seen what can happen in the future. Last tweet. This is actually from a former coworker of mine, the VP of the uh, Chiefs and HR, Kirsten Krug. 
Let's talk about the money JJ has raised. Oh, here's how I feel about JJ Watt. Don't right. like the guy. Love that he raised uh, yeah. the money. I'm not a huge JJ Watt fan. I think he's very self-serving. But in this case, if you're going to raise five million dollars for our fellow man. Six. I think the new goal is six. Yeah. If you're going to raise five, six million dollars for people of Houston, you saw the destruction there. I don't care who's doing it. You could you could give me a troll, and if they're raising six million dollars for the, you know your fellow man, I'm happy about it. And I, I still love that picture of uh, Eric Fisher shoving his head, into, shoving JJ Watt's head into the ground. That's <laughs> uh, six million dollars. The, num- the number of NFL players who have who who could do this, I could probably count on one hand, and they're mostly quarterbacks. Um, so I think this is amazing, uh, and he's gotten a lot of other you know celebrities on board. It's just such a smart, direct way to deal with the fans. Um, and to, to do something truly good. So I, I think it's really cool. And I think the, what, what you'll never really see is the domino effect of him starting it, then leaking over to other leagues. So now basketball players, I know um, Chris Paul, a bunch of basketball guys have started their own donations, and it probably all kind of was sparked by J.J. Watt. And even if they don't donate to his page, um, you'll see, you know, you, some comedians have done it. I know that I've heard um, – Kevin Hart, he's challenging other uh, actors, and he he just wrote a list of guys, name by name, you know, challenging them to stand up and step up. And Tagged them on social media. Way to them. call them right up there. <laughs> so um, for me, listen, for me, you know, J.J. Watt now gets a two- to three-week grace period where I like him again. Oh, no. Come week three, you know, he's back to being that hated Houston Texan who gets too much face time on the NFL Network. He's so dominant, man. <laughs> just, as a defensive player, man, I, just, I mean, he, he – Feisty double team. I mean, that motor of his, man, like he's – I can't – I have a little man crush on him, I got All right, Hourhead Priders, uh, thank you for your tweets. We're going to move on to our final segment now, and this is the moment you've been waiting for. Ooh. Preseason awards. I mean, get excited. This is this is what we've been waiting for. Offensive MVP, Joel. Woo, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> who else could I possibly pick here? Are you kidding? Mm. I am basing this on who I had the most fun watching. Uh, and Mahomes is absolutely it. Uh, I don't know how many what you could take out of of actual stats of the preseason, uh, but Holmes made preseason fun again. All right, my offensive MVP is going to be Travis Kelsey. Um, uh, my son actually drafted him in the second round in his fantasy league, and so he told me that he's going to almost outdo Gronk this year. So if he gets anywhere close to those type of uh, stats, he's going to be MVP. I like I like Kelsey pick. Uh, I'm going to. Also go Mahomes, you know, which is his style and his profile and his throwing on the run. Guns up. Guns up. Patty Mahomes. Listen, there was a little bit of pressure on him this preseason because it's probably the only time we're going to see him, and he rose to the occasion. Definitely. And I know it's not as serious as an entire season's body of work, but in this little microcosm, this little um, part of what he had to come do, he gave you everything you wanted. You know, it was like a little glimpse into this future of, okay, this guy could be legit, and that's all you wanted. And uh, Patty Mahomes, my offensive MVP. Defensive MVP. Uh, Sean, I'll start with you on this one. You know where I'm at. You know where I'm at with that. Benny the man Logan. Okay, not to be confused with uh, Wolverine or any other Logans, but my man Benny Logan is going to bring the funk, going to bring the heat, going to bring all that stuff right down the A-gaps. He's going to dominate those A-gaps every snap, and he's going to be our defensive MVP. Benny Logan bringing the funk. It could be a, the catchphrase of the year. I love that. Um, I'll go Rameek. Uh, like looked that. like, uh, you know, I, I thought he did pretty well when he came back um, last year. And it just it felt like he was a step quicker. 
maybe mm-hmm. so, it's right so way good they potentially brought in a replacement <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, true true very true but no I I'm, I still think it's uh, Ramik's job and I thought he had a pretty good preseason no he did uh, I know Therese Paler of the star mentioned especially too that Ramik has seemed to look like he has another step which is going to be important because you know we talked about it earlier in this podcast how many guys have we seen next to DJ I, I would love for there to be someone there permanently uh, again, Rameek Wilson's in that mix. A defensive MVP for me, too, is Benny Logan. Uh, yeah. You heard a lot about this guy in his run salvage ability, and there were certain times in the preseason this year you're like, oh, man, this guy's going to be a force to to deal with, uh, for other teams to deal with. Really a wall in the center of that defense, which is something, you know, with the Le'Veon Bells of the world you saw last year was a true problem. And it's awesome when you see a clear-cut problem and – potentially a clear-cut answer. I thought Benny Logan looked the part this preseason. All right. You got to bear down here. Offensive LVP, Joel. Least valuable player. (laughs) (laughs) That's tough. Yeah. Um, I'm tempted to go Kelsey just because he was hardly out there, but uh, our guy Ross Travis. Right. I'll stick with him. Okay. Sean? Ross Travis. um, Offensive LVP. um, It's got to be a lineman for me, you know, this (laughs) – as a as a linebacker myself, I always thought the linemen were the most least responsible people for everything. You know, even even though we had the best offensive line ever when I played here with the Chiefs. Some lineman bias, here, man. Huh? Yeah, I got to go with. If you're going to lineman, Isaiah Battle, right? Yeah, I mean, if he's he's gonna make it. Mm, we'll see. I don't so, know. Whoever's the last offense when we when you rank the offensive linemen to make the team, whoever's the, the 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 least the last one to make it is gonna be my LVP. The the offensive MVP, you know. I wouldn't say MVP, but underrated guy, too, could be Zach Fulton. He basically played every offensive line position. He's definitely going to make this team. That's that, you know, you mentioned if you want to talk about the line for a second, very, very uh, good player for the Chiefs to have just because, you know, you always see one of these offensive linemen to go down. To address every position along the line with one player, huge. Yeah. Significant. You mentioned the line. One, one of my other MVPs would be LGT. Duvernay Tardif. Uh, he is he is going to in like three years. He's going to be a top five guard yeah, if he's not getting close to there already. It's it's a little early to say that, but I saw some tweets this preseason of so him good. being at the top of the heat as far yeah. as offensive linemen. So uh, my offensive LVP, and this is just because I saw stock drop. How much were we talking about Demarcus Robinson in minicamp? Yeah. And if you if you look at if it were in a graph, it would just be a, a, a steep decline as far as buzz and people talking about him and, and you know and playmaking. And I hope it doesn't cost him a roster spot because he came into minicamp and looked really good, put in a lot of work this offseason, and I just don't know uh, because that's a very crowded wide receiver room. So Demarcus Robinson uh, with the stock drop. Gotcha. Defensive LVP, I'll start uh, the train. I'm going to say Tom Bahali. For reasons we talked about before, you can't uh, you can't give him any stock with me if you're not on the field, Tamba. Right. Unfortunately, I really love Tamba Holly, but I would love to see him on the field at least for a game or two, a snap or two. I didn't see Holly. I'll go with uh, Terrence Mitchell. Sort of the same reason he hasn't been there. Yeah. Um, he's been hurt for like three weeks. He's supposed to be one of the starting corners, so I'm sure it would be nice to see him. Yeah, I'm gonna go with D Ford. Unfortunately, I've, I've always been. Um, I love him as a person, but on the field, I just think sometimes he just underperforms. And so, um, as much as I'm in his corner to be good, I just think uh, he'll, he'll he's, he's going to always kind of be outshined by the rest of the D line. Our defensive line is, I mean, like I said, they're, they're a dominant defensive line, and to me, he, his personality and some of the things he does just doesn't fit with the kind of 
um, intensity and the, the, the just get it done mentality that the rest of the line and the defensive ends and linebackers have. Troublesome pick for him, considering you got this gigantic to know Passigno knocking on the door, playing seven positions, ready to ready to you know pounce really on any any kind of starting role possibility. TK knocking on that door. <laughs> Last award we're going to give out. This is a very prestigious award. We're going to start giving it out every year. Most excitable rookie not named Pat Mahomes award. I think Kareem Hunt's the obvious answer, but I'm going to go. I'm really going to focus on exciting rookie and stick with Tano just because I'm excited about uh, all the different possibilities he could have, the positions he could play. And his arms are so damn long. I mean, <laughs> you just feel like you should be able to reach over and, like, grab everybody. So He looks like one of those villains in the X-Men where, like, they're sort of crawling on the ground and, mm-hmm. you know, could really just, like, eat you, like, right. alive with his entire body. Like, that's, that's what Tano reminds me of. And, and due to like I said, due to injury to wear, I think um, obviously Hunt is everybody's uh, obvious pick. And if his name is not Mahomes, then it's going to have to be. I guess I'm going to have to go with the wide receiver from uh, from Michigan. We have a bunch of Michigan fans uh, all throughout Kansas City. Um, a lot of them go to my kids' school, Big Blue. So Chesson, Chesson, um, I think he has the opportunity if he gets on the field. I think he has the skill set to really become. Um, if if people think Chris Conley isn't a number one. I think the skill set you see at Chesson is what can really be a number one, um, just with field play, having some time to make some plays on the field. Uh, most excitable rookie for me, not named Pat Mahomes, of course, is Kareem Hunt. And I, I said it the other day on social media, I think with Spencer Ware going down, again, unfortunate, but Hunt automatically for me, and we got a lot of talented rookies in this year, uh, this year, like Leonard Fournette, one of them, but he becomes in that offensive rookie of the year mix, which is very exciting for Kansas City because when have we seen that before? Mm-hmm. Or when have we, when's the last time we had a, an offensive rookie that could be capable of winning that award? Uh, Tyreek? Well, I mean... Pretty I, good. There's, <laughs> I'll put it this way. There's no way Kareem Hunt has the well, impact he, on the Chiefs that Tyreek did my, my, last year. My thing is, Hill was that impressive, but he only had half the year. So, yeah. so that, that's why, you know, with the Zeeks of the world, you know, that wasn't going to happen. We know Hunt is the guy from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So I think... That's what's exciting to me. I mean, if you if you if you get a pulse of the Kansas City fan base, they love the national notoriety. This is a real chance here, where for Kareem Hunt to actually maybe win that award, which would be cool. Yeah, and, and Hill when he came in, you know, he had some a lot of negative that was kind of holding him back too, because right. people loved his speed, loved his athleticism. Because but because of the things off the field, there was a lot of the Kansas City Chiefs fan base that didn't want to support him. But now he's one of the number one guys. Um, going into the season, so I don't, yeah, I don't think it was as much excitement really about Hill being on the field as there is about Hunt right now. Like I think everybody's kind of like almost salivating at the mouth, waiting for him to take the first screen pass to kind of forget images of Jamal Charles. Right. Oh, uh, I'll hurt you. Forget Jamal Charles. Oh, I'll hurt you. You won't be forgetting Jamal Charles because he officially made the Denver Broncos. That's something we really didn't touch upon uh, today. So you will be seeing Jamal Charles playing the Chiefs as a Bronco. That should be weird. We'll get into that in future podcasts. But this wraps up the preseason. The next time we'll be together, we'll be talking about real football, folks. Sweet. I'm excited. Sean Barber uh, now joining us, part of the APWO, as I'm, I'm starting to call it. Uh, Joel Thorman uh, also joined us today. Chiefs and Titans playing this Thursday night at 7.30 p.m. Prideheads, I know you'll be watching. I'm Pete Sweeney, and this has been the Arrowhead Pride Podcast.
Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.